Ballistic Sports presents Out of the Park with Barry Davis. Follow Ballistic on Twitter at Ballistic underscore sports. That's B-I-L-I-Z-T-I-K underscore sports. This week, a Cy Young winner talks about being jilted by his former team. I was shocked, but I understand. I mean, shoot, man, it's tough, and they got to make tough decisions. And and uh, the minor leagues are getting all restructured with the with the you know losing a couple clubs. And and uh, but like I said, man, change happens. I feel very grateful. I was very lucky. And now here's your host, Barry Davis. And this week, folks, we have another very candid conversation with the former Toronto Blue Jay. Every week, we seem to be able to top the week before. Yeah, you know, when when you asked me to do this podcast about baseball, the one thing that I wasn't really expecting were these hard-hitting, deeply personal interviews full of such perspective and insight. That's, you know, that's not what baseball interviews no. are known for. No. So we will talk to the Cy Young Award winner. Sometimes it's the former Cy Young, but he's still a Cy Young Award winner. He's not a former Cy Young Award winner. Yeah, you, you know what? We had this conversation, and and I got to look it up. Yeah, because I think you he's are an f- English major. Yeah, right. But it's it's a question of is he the current MVP or a former MVP? Still is an he MVP. The current Cy Young uh, or a former? I guess. Yeah, he is an MVP, but he's not the MVP. Okay. A guy who won the Cy Young Award, Pat Henkin, will join us, and we will talk about his departure from the Toronto Blue Jays organization, and we're going to get into some really cool baseball talk with pat as well about how the game has changed and as uh, many blue jay fans know there were a lot of decisions pitching wise that did not go over very well <laughs> with fans or said pitchers yep so we'll be ta- discussing a lot of that we will have asbury davis and we'll have raj sapaya and up next folks we will tell you all about our brand new partner whom we're really excited to be joining forces with and we will also have our final views on the 2020 toronto blue jay season as it is now over there is tom not the producer that doesn't have a nice ring to it we'll, no, kinda, we'll get some we gotta we gotta get a hang, hang uh, handle for you yep okay i'm barry davis and this is out of the park ladies and gentlemen girls and boys the first pitch with barry davis oh uh, well thank you very much mr tim langton and uh a voice we did not hear enough of in 2020 tom Mm -hmm. you know what i mean uh felt so bad for him because even when the team came back and started playing and the home games were in buffalo well because of covid he's unable to go to buffalo you know what i mean so anyhow uh we love tim langton and hopefully we'll hear him behind the mic next year we are very excited here at the nsr media network and out of the park because we have just joined partnership with a great company and I don't know about you, Tom. Mm-hmm. I love board games. Yep. And interactive board games are even more exciting. And the folks at Ballistic Sports have an incredible game. I cannot wait for us to get our first copy of this so we can actually play this yep. and then explain to listeners. And it's just a possibility that we'll have uh, some copies to give away. But tell us a little bit about the game. So, you know, most board games... Um are just something static that you play on your own. Yeah, and they're great, like a Monopoly or whatever. Yeah, but Ballistic, um, it's a board game that you actually play in conjunction with the sporting event that you're watching. Cool. So, yeah, basically it it gives you the opportunity. People, You predict what you think is going to happen next on TV. And if you predict the right move, then you you get to move your game piece around the board and encounter a whole bunch of different scenarios that are either going to help you or hurt you in your progress through the the board game. Uh, It's cool. And and you've got hockey one where you'd predict Mm -hmm. the next stoppage in play. Baseball, you're predicting, obviously, the next at bat or the next pitch. The outcome of them, yeah. And and football, they've got a football one as well, so you're going to predict what will happen uh, with each snap, right? So this is very cool. So a lot of fun you can have with this. Yeah. And we're going to be telling you in the upcoming weeks how you can actually get copies of this when it is ready to go. Mm -hmm. But here's something we want to let everybody know, and this is just one more reason to pick up one of these games. For every board game sold, Ballistic Sports will donate a dollar to youth in sports through our Ballistic for Kids program. So really good they're doing this. Um, Paul Hendrick, 
is also hooked up with Ballistic Sports. Mm-hmm. He'll be doing a weekly hockey podcast. He had Rick Vibe on his first one. So, oh, nice. Yeah, really, really cool. So really looking forward to our partnership with Ballistic Sports. We will have the uh, the head hoocha, the uh, the grand poobah Ooh. of Ballistic Sports. Don Corby is going to join us uh, in a couple of weeks when uh, you know he'll have the information as to when you'll be able to drop the dice. Beautiful. Yes. All right. So... Speaking of live sports, unfortunately, we won't be able to play the ballistic sports game with Blue Jays mm-hmm. for a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sensed a lot of disappointment from fans, and I don't think it was just the fact that they lost both games, but I think it's the fact that a lot of the moves that were being made around these games and the fact that you had your ace on the mound and he didn't have it. Yeah. And they it, they didn't just lose the game. They got clobber like they, this thing was over by the first inning right yep. yep but having said all that and i'll ask you first of all does the time now now that you've had a chance to maybe reflect and get over the initial crap that sucked <laughs> look back and go this, this is much better than i ever predicted no that's the thing i wasn't ever disappointed the second we got into the postseason who i wasn't ever disappointed Yes. The second the Blue Jays yes. got into the postseason. Oh, that's right. Yes. Okay. Wow. Rookie move again. It's okay. That's all right. I'm. I'm I'll get there. Yeah. Um, One more, and you're getting sent down. The yeah. second the Jays got into the postseason. Okay. It was more than any realistic and reasonable fan could have hoped for at the beginning of the season. Absolutely. I mean, let's face it. Even baseball this year, just the fact that it happened. Yeah. We're already up in the game, right? But. The Blue Jays fans got one heck of a treat. A great offense, you know, a, a really good pitching staff. They they overperformed. They punched above the belt. Montoyo, haters all you want, he's going to be in that conversation for manager. Absolutely the year. he is. Yeah, even after how the games in Tampa went. Yeah. But it stung. Yeah, it stung. It stung losing. The first game was okay. Right, because you're thinking, okay, I was feeling good. I loved, I loved the pitching the next day. I loved yeah. Ryu going. But and the thing is about that first game, where a lot of people look back and say it's the manager's fault. Yeah, they took Shoemaker out. Yeah, and but it, but it, Shoemaker was only scheduled to go that that amount of time. Yep. Right, that was it. He was just going to do that, and well, he didn't know that. Management knew that. And I think one of the issues a lot of fans have, and it does get under my skin as well, said you go with the flow of the game. Sometimes you got to put the computers aside and say, yeah. he's looking good. He's, you know, I like the groove he's in. Let's get him out there for another couple of innings. Yep. Right? It, yeah. And, and and then I would say the very next day with Ryu, yeah, the, the opposite, where I – you know, wading into the tweeting waters, I actually tweeted at the beginning of the second inning, wow, this does not look good. Like, he mm-hmm. is just getting teed off on. And once those bases got loaded and he started to the next batter. Now, was anyone warmed in the Jays bullpen at that time? Cause no, I, I, I don't think so. So they had nan- nobody no, was up. No, like, that's the thing. Like, right at the beginning of the second inning, on my sofa, mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, you got to get somebody up right now. Yeah. Well, we're going to ask Pat Henkin yep. about that whole situation. You know what? He with changed Ryu. my mind about it because yeah. I was really hard. Like, they, sh- he had no business being in that game. Yeah. But after the conversation with, with Pat, I, I, I have to re examine that. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what? We, we do get into a bunch of, you know, the differences between baseball now and baseball then. And, yeah, maybe we do want to live in a world where we let those pitchers go that one extra batter. You know, but as as we know, and we'll find out from Pat, those days are probably long gone. Yep, we're probably not going to see that again. Yeah, so that's a sad thing. But getting back to the Charlie Montoyo thing, you're never going to have a manager whom you agree with when it comes to every decision. Mm-hmm. I've been following the Blue Jays since their inception whether it was Roy Hartsfield or Jimmy Williams or Bobby Cox or Cito Gaston, Tim, well, Tim Johnson, I won't put him <laughs> in there. But Gibby, of course, every move they make, it's either the best move ever or 
this guy should be fired. Mm-hmm. Baseball is not a black and white thing when it comes to decisions. No. Right? It, every time you make a decision, there's a gamble. You Okay, so John Gibbons decides he's going to go to his eighth inning guy. Okay? And the guy, maybe it's his third straight day working. Yeah. He goes out on the mound. People are like, oh, my God. Right? He gives up a home run. Everyone's going to say, that was the dumbest move. Why did Gibby put him in there? If he ends up getting the save, it would be like, wow, that was you know, great that he did mm-hmm. it. So it's the same decision. It's the same decision. One time it works and one time it doesn't work. So how can you say that was you know horrible decision-making on the manager yeah. when there's no way to predict whether it's going to work? Well, even in, these, in, the, in, in the case of these two particular decisions, was it even his decision? That's another story. And if it wasn't... I heard the word algorithm yeah, with why they took from, Shoemaker. From everything that I've read from those who are around the team, this was not Charlie Montoyo's decision. Mm-hmm. And if Charlie Montoyo's job is to be the puppet, mm-hmm. then it's like, what's the point? Well, it doesn't make sense. I mean, everybody covering this team works for Rogers. Yeah. And so well, no, they, no, no. I mean, newspapers well, guys don't. Yeah, no. But sorry, newspaper people. Don't. Yeah, but the people that are directly asking these questions, and 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 you know, I'm seeing articles coming out of Sportsnet about Montoya and about, mm. about his decisions. But if they're all working for Rogers, then they all know where the decision got made. Mm-hmm. So why not just nip it in the bud and be like, listen, this was yeah, this was head office. Yeah, leave the poor guy alone. Yeah, they'll never do that though. They won't, and that's awful. Yeah, and. Whether they admit it or not, I don't like this. I don't no. like this. To me, the GM, they build the team. The manager, that's why That's why he's not called a coach. Yep. Okay? That's, you know, I've heard people refer to a baseball manager as a coach. They're not a coach. They're a manager. It's a different job. Yep. Right? They're, it's their decision who plays. It's their decision when a pitcher comes out, when you're going to go use a pinch hitter. It should not be coming from another level up. Mm-hmm. If they want to make the decisions, they can sit in the dugout in uniform and make the decisions. Yeah. The manager is paid to manage the team. And that's all i got to say about that. That's what yeah. Forrest Gump would say. Well, you know, Remember the scene from Moneyball? Same thing happened in Moneyball. That's right. Right? Yep. Brad Pitt. <laughs> right? And the manager... Or the guy playing Art Howe, just like, no, nah, I'm not. I this is I'm the manager. I'm going to put this guy in the lineup. So right? w- yeah, but I mean, what what way is baseball going? Yeah, I don't know. I I I really hope that what we may be seeing here in Toronto is not a trend. I don't know. Well, hopefully, I mean, if we took him out, if they went ahead and took Shoemaker out for you know, an algorithmic reason or mm-hmm. where they were in the count or what their their numbers told them. And it backfired. Well, it didn't really backfire, though, either, did it? He right? was great for three innings. Yeah, he was great for three innings, and then they but were still But he should have been great for a fourth yep. or a fifth. Yep. And what disturbs me is that he, and he's not going to BS you, mm-hmm. he didn't know that this was the plan. Yeah. And, okay, so then you say, okay, were the Blue Jays just being real idiots by not letting him know the plan? Or were they being smart and tactical by thinking, well, if we tell him the plan, then, you know. <laughs> yeah, what's it going to do to his mindset, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. But what's it going to do next time he takes the mound? Right? I don't know. To, to every pitcher in the organization, what does it say? I think it's it's a whole new way of looking at the way – Pitching staffs are handled. Yeah, we but, gotta get to. Ooh. But that's like that's an old way. Like oh, yeah. that's whether or not you're gonna communicate with your team or not. Yeah, and that's not that's not new baseball, old baseball. Oh. That's you know what your pitchers need to know what to expect when they so. take the mound. Yeah. And so if this is a trick you're gonna play often as an organization, yeah, it's hard enough to get people to come up and play in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Glad you got that off your chest. All right. (laughs) Up next, it is Ask Barry Davis. But before that, let's hear from our pal, Raj Sapaya. Foundation Physiotherapy presents The Medical Room. 
We are here at Foundation Physiotherapy on Front Street. Raj Sapaya, you are now banned from ever wearing a Raptors jersey <laughs> on any of these recordings I'm ever sorry. again. That's why I'm not. That's why I can't wear my Blue Jays jersey today. Because or, or, we, need, we need the Jays to win. So, well, by the time you're watching this, they may have already lost because he's already said it. So, if the Blue Jays end up losing the series to Tampa Bay. I Raj did not Sapaya's, curse the Raptors. 2021 will be there. He's All the right. guy to blame. Uh, for sports fans, there have been many sleepless nights because of frustration. But another thing that causes sleepless nights is something that happened to me not that long ago, and I'm sure it's happened to many of you. You wake up in the middle of the night with this excruciating pain in the back of your leg, below the knee, and it's some kind of a cramp, and it hurts like hell. And there's no real way, at least I know, of getting the pain to subside. So first of all, what the heck causes that? Uh, yeah, good question. Um, so the muscle you're talking about is a calf muscle, right? So that's muscle that's just under your knee in the back of your, back of your leg, right? It's the muscle that helps us take off. A few reasons that can happen. Um, so muscularly, if it is a muscular issue, maybe you overused it the day, like that day, maybe you played too many sports, you're doing too much jumping, and so it's cramping that night. That's the most obvious reason, and you would probably know that because it would have maybe felt sore type going into the sleep. However, there's also um, dehydration can specifically cause cramping in the calf, right? So if the, camp, the cramping is specifically in the calf, then we could chalk that up to dehydration um, or poor, poor circulation, right? Uh, which both kind of go together. So it might be an issue of getting up, walking around, letting the muscles kind of loosen up and taking some water, some water intake, water never hurts, and then go on with your day. So I can understand if that happens while you're walking or while you're doing something. But while you're in the middle of a sleep, yeah. I mean, is it because maybe I'm doing something with that leg while I'm sleeping? Oh, no, no. So when we're sleeping, what our body's doing is our body's recovering. Our body is sending all, you know, as, as our body goes into a deep sleep, our body's sending all the receptors, all the blood flow, everything to heal what we've done for that day. You know, that's exactly why athletes need such good sleep. And sleep is so important to them because their body's been used. Then they need to fight all the inflammation. They need to fight, get all the blood flow going. So what happens is while you're sleeping, if there is a muscle that's overworked, you'll get increased sensation to that muscle because you're, you're sending more blood flow. And if there's dehydration in your body, so you're not hydrated enough, you're not carrying enough blood, blood and oxygen, then you're also gonna feel it. That makes sense. Yeah. That definitely makes sense. The question is, sometimes for me, I'll do what you say, I'll have a glass of water, I'll yeah. go walking around, uh, a day or two later, there's still kind of some soreness in there. Yeah. So that might, that might sound like, that sounds more like a muscular issue. So maybe that is a cramp from overworking and it being too sore. That might not just be because you're dehydrated, right? So that's when uh, you would call me up or do a consult with me and I might suggest some stretches or things to do to allow that tissue to heal. All right. If you have a cramp, Raj Sapai is the guy to see, but make sure you drink some water first. Help. I need somebody. Help. Not just anybody. Out of the Park presents Ask Barry Davis. I gotta tell you, there are voices that you could say are perfect type of voices. Technically incredible singers. Right? Freddie Mercury, you know, can do some wonderful things. But then there is the other side of it is voices that make you just feel incredible. <laughs> and we're, you know what? On the next sessions, and by the way, for those of you who listen to Sessions, our music podcast, it is moving to Wednesdays. It will be released. Did we say Wednesdays? Oh, Tuesdays. Tuesdays. It'll be released Tuesdays. So each and every Tuesday. And coming up this Tuesday, we speak to an incredible musician, a wonderful human being, Sandy Horn from The Spoons. And... They are kicking butt still after all these years yeah, and doing after, so well. Yep. And Sandy's going to tell us about some of the really cool ways they're finding to make music during COVID. Yep. So that will be coming up. But what I want to talk about, and I'm going to give you some time to think about it before we do sessions, is I want you to come up with your favorite voices, not what you think are the best singers, but your favorite voices, the voices that just make you melt, that you just, there's just the sound of their voice you love. Oh. Okay? Yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like, I'm going to probably come up with 10. So maybe you can come up with 10. Yeah, that won't be hard. And then we'll ask our listeners to come up with some as well. 
Mm-hmm. So, all right, we digress. It is time for Ask Barry Davis. And, Thomas, if someone would like to ask a question, how could they go about doing it? And, by the way, great news. Um, hopefully, in the next few days, our NSR Media website will be back up and running. And then they'll be able to go there. But we won't we won't get carried away. Yeah. For, for now, you can send them to me on Twitter at 4th underscore Thomas or use the hashtag AskBarryDavis. You can also send them to me on Instagram at one foot at a time. My DMs are open on both. And... Uh, you know, hopefully by the end of next week, you'll be able to go to nsrmedia.ca. Yes, but send them to Tom. Tom loves hearing from you. Send them to you. me. Yes, yes, right? I love it. And you know what? I've I've had a few good questions every week. And, oh, nice. You know, and for all of you uh, that are regulars to this program, uh, follow Tom on the Twitter. He's yep. very he's very good on the Twitter. I'm 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 waiting in. I'm waiting. Yeah. I'm trying to find a way to do it without being angry. Right. <laughs> right. It's like merging onto the highway. Yeah, but you don't fit in if you're on Twitter and you're not angry. Well, that's true. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> what you got for me? All right. So our question today comes from Dan in Phoenix. Dan in Phoenix. We haven't heard from him in ages. Longtime listener. Yep. So now that the first season- time caller. Now that the season's over, he would like to know what the likelihood that Charlie Montoyo could be demoted to take over in Buffalo and perhaps the Blue Jays shopping for another manager. So not oh, that they can, oh. but that they demote him. You know, that's a fascinating question, Dan. And yeah, never even thought about that. Because my first thought, as, he started re- as you started reading the question, like, they're not going to get rid of Charlie. They're not going to get rid of Charlie. And then as you went on to the second half of the question, I'm like, hmm, because uh-huh. they have spots open when it comes to that in Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, they do. Right? <laughs> so it's a possibility. I don't know if I've ever heard of a manager being demoted to the minors. But will there be a Buffalo next year? <sighs> That's another good question. Yeah. That's another good question. But in all honesty, for a first-year manager to guide a team to the postseason, mm-hmm. and it's not really no. Yeah, last year was his first year, wasn't it? Yeah, he's not a rookie in twenty twenty. Oh wow, why am I spit? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I almost forgot about twenty nineteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's so long yes. ago. But again, he's still a relatively new manager yeah. to the game. Okay, everything he does is going to get scrutinized. And we've talked about this before, right? Manager can do no right at times. At the end of the day, did the team win more than it lost? Did it succeed? Did it go past its expectations? Mm -hmm. Or did it fail? Well, I look at this Toronto Blue Jays team. I see they made the postseason. Nobody expected that to happen. Mm -hmm. They endured injury after injury to key positions and key players. They endured. Yep. They continued to win. They had kids get called up out of nowhere, like Kirk, yeah. and just perform the way he did. And my God, I love watching that guy play. Oh, he just—he looks like a kid. He looks like he's 15 years old. It's that joie de vie. And I right? love that he's he short, just... <laughs> right? Uh, uh, Rowdy Telez comes up with a magical year before he finds his season getting shut down. Yeah, there were a lot of mistakes. Yeah, there were dumb running plays and, you know, bad at bats and, you know, mistakes in the outfield. It's going to happen. But if you're a Blue Jays fan, you should be nothing but excited to see this group stay together, grow another year, and now have at least two games of postseason experience under their belts now. Yep. I I think the sky's the limit. I'm excited about this team, and I think that Charlie Montoyo, my biggest beef is, is he doing what he wants to do, or is he doing what management wants him to do? Mm-hmm. And until I hear either side admit it publicly, there's really not much we can say to justify it other than what we've read. Yeah. So, all right. I almost called you Matthew. That's okay. I almost called you Georgina. Oh, perfect. Okay, Thomas, coming up next, we will hear from that former employee of the Toronto Blue Jays. But the question is, is he harboring any resentment towards the organization? We'll find out from the 
former, not so former Cy Young Award winner. There's Tom, I'm Barry, this is Out of the Park. And now, in the dugout with Barry Davis. Along with Tom Ford, and uh, are you a Kiss guy? Not at all. It's so funny because, like, I like them, but uh, it's just not really my thing. And it's so funny because Matt was exactly the same way, and I find, and it's no disrespect to Kiss because they were geniuses at marketing themselves. Yeah, they knew everything about how long before there was social media. But I find that most musician friends that I know. Have no time for Kiss, and that's no disrespect to them as musicians, other than the fact that they probably weren't—they really weren't great musicians. They wrote great songs, but they weren't great musicians. And here's the thing: I don't—I know their music to to hear it, um, but like, I've never actually sat down and learned to Kiss, so I don't even know. They could be great musicians. There could be like when I—you yeah, had to ask me if the Cars had wonderful guitar lines. A year ago, I would have been like, nah, right? But now I realize, right. wow, they had a lot going on there. So maybe Kiss has a lot going on. Okay. I just, I've never really been into them. Okay. Well, one thing is for certain, Kiss is not from Detroit. Right? I don't know where they're from. No, they're, not from, they're not from Detroit. But our next guest is. Mm. Here's our conversation with former Toronto Blue Jay, Pat Henkin. Well, first and foremost, Pat Henkin, I got a very important question for you. Uh, what kind of boat do you have, and what do you've got on it? Well, I used to have a 21-foot Ranger bass boat. Nice. I had one for about 20 years. I left it. It was down in Florida for most of the time, but then I moved up to Michigan when I got done playing ball. And I had it for about five years, sold it to a buddy of mine. I haven't had a boat since. Oh. I did buy just recently during the virus. I did buy a pedal kayak, uh, and the, it's a kayak that's a one-person kayak, but you can pedal it, so it's hands-free, and it's been fun. You know, good exercise, and also I can fish out of it, so it's pretty cool. We have to set you up with a decent bass boat. That's what we need to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I've been to Bass Pro, buddy. That was a great story. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll get into all that later. Um, so it's been an interesting week. Uh, for the, the Blue Jays organization, or an interesting two weeks, uh, we saw the two-game playoff series that kind of came and went very quickly, and I'm sure you were paying some attention to that because you know a lot of these guys so well. But I was shocked, disappointed, surprised uh, when the news came that yourself, uh, Ken Huckabee, and Paul Quantrill were let go from the positions you had just on the verge of the Blue Jays being uh, you know, into the playoffs. What can you tell us from your perspective as to your reaction to it, what they told you, and, and what the future is for you in this organization? Um, yeah, you know, so due to the virus, right, like everybody's got to make cutbacks, and not just MLB, but every industry in the world, as you know. And MLB's no different. I mean, they, you know, I got a phone call from the Blue Jays, and it was, you know, bad news, unfortunately. We got to, you know, just let you go, and and uh, we're going to uh, – you know, you can they invited me to spring training if I wanted to come to spring training next year. But yeah, the role is, is um, you know, pretty much diminished at this point and through the 21 season. And there's a chance, I think, that we could rekindle the work relationship down the road, but there's no guarantees with that either. So, you know, it's unfortunate. It's part of the COVID. It's part of the virus. Uh, not to mention the minor leagues is getting a little bit restructured because of uh, we're going to. Uh, lose a few teams and I think what's happened is there's been some restructuring going on and you know change happens you know I've had a great long one run I feel so very grateful uh, that the Jays and I have been together for so long so I feel very grateful very very grateful and uh, no hard feelings man Ross and Mark and the Jays have been awesome to me yeah did you see this coming at all then I mean considering COVID was happening considering I mean you're a smart guy, right? I mean, was that something that maybe you and Q even talked about that, uh, I wonder how long this is going to last? Yeah, you know, that's fair. Um, yeah, Q and I did talk about it probably early on more than we did later. Uh, we, we talked about it in March and April when the when the lockdown first started. And 
um, we were, you know, communicating on the phone, just like all of us were. And, and uh, then it didn't happen. And it went on through the summer, then the season started. And then right towards the end there, like you said, the day that they, we clinched, um, I got the phone call. So I was shocked, but I understand. I mean, shoot, man, it's tough and they got to make tough decisions. And, and uh, the minor leagues are getting all restructured with the, with the, you know, losing a couple clubs. And, and uh, like I said, man, change happens. I feel very grateful. I was very lucky. Yeah. A lot of fans, you know, a lot of the chatter that you, you've been hearing on Twitter since this move uh, has been about actually the timing of it. Um, did anybody from the Blue Jays organization explain? Because it, it was pretty, it seemed pretty awkward timing. You know, just kind of a, a dump to get it out of the way at another day when some really good things were happening with the organization. But for a lot of longtime fans really felt let down. Uh, we don't want to lose great people like like you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, was there any explanation for the timing and, and for why it happened when it did and, and how it did? No, I I, um, I was new to me. I mean, my phone rang, you look down, you see caller ID, boom, you know, it's, it's a phone call you got to take no matter where you are. And I took it. And that's what I, you know, that's basically what, it, what happened. Um, it's unfortunate. I mean, I love the Jays. You know that I love being part of it. And I've, I, I've, you know, at times you feel like you're making an impact with the role that I had at times you feel like you're not making an impact. And then you get a phone call after they announced the fact that we were going to part ways and transition to this part-time role. Um, I get a phone call from just some really cool longtime Jay people that are still currently with us. And, you know, it could be a scout, could be somebody in the front office, could be a player development guy, could be a coach, could be any one of the two. And I got phone calls from a lot of people, media included. And, you know, just some really nice compliments and some nice things said, and it made me feel good. And, and you know, and then you, you end up realizing that you do are, you are making a small impact, even though you may seem like you're not. When you get phone calls from pro scouts and how they just love being in the stands watching the game with me, breaking down the pitcher, or, you know, an amateur scout that texts me and says, hey, love breaking down the pitcher with you two drafts ago, two Junes ago. So you don't realize you're making an impact, but sometimes you are, so as small as your role is. But, yeah, the timing of it, it is what it is. I mean, there's never really a good time for those types of uh, messaging, and I think that, you know, it was just like any other uh, message when you get a message from your employer that, you know, they're no longer going to uh, employ you. So it happens. I mean, like I said, change happens. It's as nice as it is to get those phone calls from colleagues to have Blue Jays fans uh, respond the way they have. And let's face it, Pat, I mean, you haven't pitched with the Blue Jays for quite a few years, but they all remember you. They know the impact you made. And not only as a pitcher, but as a human being as well, uh, it really goes a long way to know that all these years later, these Toronto Blue Jays fans now are saying, what the hell's going on? How the hell can they do this to Pat? Uh, yeah, well, you know, look at, man, they're not looking at the numbers and seeing the, you know, crunching all the numbers and stuff. And, you know, I know that the industry is going to lose a lot of money. And, and uh, you know, like I said, change happens. There's really not much I can really add to it other than I appreciate the fans. I always love the fans, love Canada, but I, you know, I got a place there. You guys know that I got a mm -hmm. cabin there. Um, I live 30 minutes from the border, Windsor and, and Sarnia. So I've been very familiar with Canada my whole life. My family loves Canada. My dad's family's there. My wife's got family in Windsor. So we just have a lot of connections in Canada. I just so happened to get drafted by the Blue Jays, played 10 years there and was able to stay there as a player development special assistant for the last few years. And just, uh, just really love Canada, love being in Toronto. And, and uh, hey, you never know, man. You never know what's going to happen in the future, right? Like, things happen. You know, you, you, uh, you know the organization's been known to bring people back, and, and maybe that could happen with me. This experience that you've had over the last several years, has it opened maybe a, a door, even in your, your psyche, as to where you want to go in the future when it comes to baseball? I mean, there are people that they look at and they call them lifers in the game, right? I mean, are you one of those guys that you always want to have baseball be a part of it? And maybe what you've done over the last little while has made you say, hey, you know, I think I'd be a good manager. I'd be a good pitching coach, maybe a GM. Has any of this kind of entered your mind? I think all the above has, actually. And, you know, you, you constantly sit there and think about what role you would be really effective at. And, you know, the lack of managerial experience is definitely hurts me when it comes to that type of, of role uh pitching coach yeah i did the bullpen for two years i filled in for some pitching coaches in the minor leagues over the years and that's gone well i mean that's been okay but if i was going to get back into a full-time i would like to be a manager really 
If I was going to be back in a full time, yeah, over pitching coach, yes. Oh yes. yeah, yeah. You, yeah. You, you mean like seeing all the gray hairs from Gibby and seeing all the stress from Cedo <laughs> that hasn't made you go like you know you talk about job security. Being a manager gives you very little of that. Oh yeah, no kidding. I know. You know what though? General managers don't have much job security either, and either do pitching coaches. And you know, in our industry, period. I mean, whether you're player development or a scout. A lot of one-year deals getting thrown around in MLB, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. For the majority of the people. And there isn't a lot of job security there. There just isn't. And, uh, you know, people change. You know, Ben Sherrington goes from Boston to Toronto to Pittsburgh in a four-year period. You know, it just – things happen quickly in, in baseball. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've thought about managing. I know – I thought about managing in A ball. I thought about managing in double A. thought about trying to manage in rookie ball. I have. I've thought – thought about all those things and those are hard challenges and i i just you know it's not that easy to get a professional job in in, in the minor leagues it's not easy to get a, uh, a, a position with an affiliated club whether it's minor leagues or major leagues there's a lot of a lot of supply right and uh, there's a lot of people out there that are willing to do it it's a great job it's fun and it's exciting to be around those young kids and you know i love baseball so it's a slam dunk for me right well, yeah one thing you didn't mention in all those lists was uh-huh. as a broadcaster. I mean, you'd be an amazing broadcaster, Pat. Oh, thanks so much. You know, I did do a game in spring training uh, with Buck and Tabby back when Brett Cecil was a starter. Uh, yeah, I remember. Long ago. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I remember we played the Phillies in Florida in spring training, and I remember they asked me to come on and do be a third guy in the booth with Buck and Tabby. And, I, you know, being with Buck and Tabby, I mean, these guys were with me in the 90s when I played. They were doing it, and I played with Tabby. Mm-hmm, I just sure. missed Buck. But, uh, you know, it was exciting. I enjoyed it. I think that um, I did actually do nine innings with Buck and Tabby. I got a phone call that night. They did. um, They were interested in having me stay on. At the time, though, Alex Anthopoulos was a GM, and I was working in baseball ops, and I really love baseball ops. Like, I love, you know, trying to put together the roster and trying to, get you know, put together the team and evaluating players. It's always been a passion, I think, of all ex-players. We all evaluate when i played that's all we did was scout the other team you know i scouted myself but i scouted my teammates but i always scouted the other hitters so you're constantly scouting and evaluating and then when you get out of the game and you step back and you're 51 years old and you look back scouting and evaluating is not easy no it's a very challenging thing to do (laughs) it's a very challenging to do yeah but yeah broadcasting is cool I, i i actually might try doing some of that this summer you know now that i'm not really involved in player development this year with the jays and i may go to spring training for I don't even know if I'll go to spring training right now, mm-hmm. but we'll see. I'll just cross that bridge when I get to it. But yeah, you know, I, 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 I'm not going to shut the media door down for sure. I, I love baseball and being able to be part of it and talk about it is, is a passion of mine. So maybe you're right. Maybe down the road, maybe I will do a little media. You know, we, we, where you spoke a little bit uh, about young arms and about, you know, coaching, coaching these younger players and, and actually what you just talked about with the scouting, um, you, you've left the team now. Um, so if you could turn around and, and take a look at the Blue Jays staff right now, uh, how good uh, should the Blue Jays feel about their young arms right now? Pretty good. I mean, you know, obviously Big Nate, he had a heck of a debut the other day in the playoffs. And then, um, you know, Shoemaker, when he's out there, he's so gosh darn good. You know, he just got to figure out a routine to get out there. He's had some bad luck with that knee and just crazy injuries. And then Ryu was awesome. I mean, Ryu just had a great year. So you got a nice anchor there at the top. Uh, he's steady, Eddie. I don't know. Is Tawan Walker, is he coming back next year? Or is he a free agent? Free agent. Yeah, I think he's a free is agent. Is he? Yeah. He's a free agent. That's a bummer because he was good too. And he's got great stuff. I've watched him throw for years. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's they got a lot of depth. We got a lot of players. I think pitching staffs are, you guys know this, pitching staffs are so different now the way they're constructed. Instead of having five guys that can throw you seven innings and five guys that can pitch out of the pen and are durable, teams now go with 20 pitchers that can pitch three innings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're, and they're just, you know, you saw it. I mean, Shoemaker for three, Ray for three, you know, and you see teams – doing it all the time i'm watching the cardinal game right now or was on anyway and i think they've used three pitchers it's been a third inning you know and they're just playing matchup from the get-go carrying all these pitchers so they, the way they construct pitching staffs is different too so it's kind of hard to break down the pitching staff when you compare it because you know typically you'd have five good starters actually you'd have five good starters you'd have two guys in the pen that could potentially 
likely start. You'd have three guys in the AAA that are starting. So you're looking at 10 guys that can start. And with our rotation in AAA not playing this year, we were had the fortunate ability, the Jays, we had the luxury to bring players up that were going to be depth starters. And these guys went on to pitch really well out of the pen. Obviously, guys like Hatch, Brucky, August mm-hmm. back. You know, so it's it's pretty cool how they really strengthened the pen with no minor league baseball this year. And um, I think you're seeing it all the way around the whole industry is you're seeing a lot of two to three inning pitchers and just just get tons of those guys instead of having one guy try to go six innings. I know that's the way it is becoming and there's not much you can do about it, but you don't have to like it. And I don't like it. I mean, listen, in 96, when you won the Cy Young Award, you, you pitched 265 innings. The next year you put 264 innings. I mean, you go back in time and see guys yeah. that put up 300 innings in a season. You're never going to see numbers anywhere close to that, at least, you know, in the near future. We saw Matt Shoemaker look really good through three innings and obviously not happy about being taken out of the game. Nowadays, and it's, you know, I don't blame Charlie Montoyo because this is just the way it's being done, right? And I know people gave him a lot of heat, but it's all done with the analytics. It's all done by the computers. And I remember asking Jack Morris about this, and he goes, you got to be kidding me, man. Like, I have to be you know, pretty much on my deathbed before they're going to pull me out of a game. How, as, yeah. a, as a pitcher, could can you just fathom what that feeling is like? You pitched four, five, six really solid innings. You still have a lot left in the tank, but you know you're not going back out again. Yeah, you know, I think that you got to look at it from the manager's view. He's always trying to make the decision that's what's best for the club. I'll give you an example. When I played for La Russa, Hall of Fame manager in St. Louis, after nine years in Toronto, uh, I go to St. Louis and I, I'm about... Every sixth inning. If I was my third at bat, I got pinch hit for. It didn't matter. I had a shutout in Cincinnati with no with one hit. It didn't matter. Wow. And and you know, he probably looked at the third time through the lineup. I was at I was older. I was 10 years under my belt. You know, I had a lot of mileage on my arm. My stuff wasn't as great as it was in Toronto. It wasn't it was not near as good in St. Louis. I was more of a pitcher when I was in St. Louis. And I was probably more of a thrower in the early 90s with Toronto. And then I became a pitcher. But my point is, is that I do know what it feels like to get yanked. And after five innings and I got 75 pitches and I feel really good. And I'm like, man, I could mow into the eighth inning tonight. I feel good. You know, I'm, I'm hitting my spots and everything. But it's just you got to look at it through the lens of the manager. And, you know, like Tanner Rourke, for instance, when he came out and there was a little bit in the paper about he was upset. I I love that he's upset. That guy's a horse. That guy's a durable innings eater horse. He takes pride in doing that. So, you're, you know, in his eyes, he's like, that's the one asset. That's the one thing I can do to bring to this club is durability and uh, innings. And then they kind of, you know, when they take him out after three innings or four, I know he wasn't pitching great either. I understand that. But it doesn't bother me. It wouldn't bother me. I don't think if I pitch today, it, it is what it is. I mean, like you said, you can't, I don't like it, but you can't change it. It's not going away. You know, they're just looking at the numbers and saying, wow, it's so much we're way better off going with this, you know, a fifth reliever and to finish nine innings as opposed to one guy going seven. I know one thing as a fan, like my buddies, like, they're big Tiger fans here where I grew up. I'm not, obviously, but I used to be, but I'm not anymore. But Good for you. <laughs> they, yeah. They, so they said, you know, the cool thing about going to a ball game was, you know, who are the Tigers playing? They're playing the Jays. Oh, man, it's Steve against Morris, you know? Mm-hmm. And now it's like my buddies are like, my gosh, it's like seven relievers against six relievers. So they, from a fan standpoint, I know I've been getting that kind of feedback where, and I'm talking about, these are good baseball fans. Like I, my couple of buddies that I went to high school play ball with, like they're still diehard baseball fans. They watch all the time. And, and, you know, they're the ones that told me that. And I thought, you know, that's a really good point. Like I didn't really think about it like that, but yeah, if you look at it from a fan's view, it is kind of cool to look and see, man, holidays pitching today, man. Let's go to the yeah. game in Toronto. You know what I mean? Now mm-hmm. it's like, who's pitching? It's like five relievers. Yeah. Yeah. It's just different. It's different. That's all. It's different. Yeah, I remember specifically uh, over the years that that Halliday was in Toronto. You know, I would look and I'd see the the lineup for the day. Oh, Halliday's pitching, and I'd go down to watch those games. Right. There you yeah. go. People would buy tickets. Yeah. Do you see exactly? Do you see this ever moving? I, there was a team in the postseason a couple of years ago, and it's slipping my mind which team, but they were using an opener. Yeah, it may have um, been Tampa. I think maybe. it was Tampa. Yeah. yeah, and they were using yeah. an opener. So, so yeah, I, I forget the pitcher, but it was their opener was one inning every game, and then they went to a longer guy. And you know, 
that kind of seems like the farthest we can stretch this, you know, this whole small pitcher or small ball pitchers. Uh, do, do you see it getting that to a point where like every team is, is going with those designated one inning openers? Do you, or do you see other teams maybe moving towards that? I think when you go to construct a 40 man roster and a 25 man roster to get you through six months in a big league season, you're going to need a lot of pitching. And there's just not that many Verlanders out there. There's not that many Grankies. There's not that many Coles. It's so hard to find them. It's so hard to develop them and it's so hard to sign them. So I think teams just look at it and go, Hey man, it's so much easier for us to find 15 guys that can pitch three innings. And we're just going to try to, you know, put together a really good pitching staff and the way they manipulate the rosters now in the industry where they, they send guys down, they bring them back up, they send guys down. They, you know, you're sending a guy down, he pitched great, but he's got to go down because he can't pitch it the next day. And we need a fresh arm because the starter can only go three innings. So it's had a, it has a big ripple effect on your pitching staff over the long term when you have three inning pitchers. You know, it's the one thing like when you guys know this, when Verlander pitches on Monday, the manager can manage different on Sunday and Tuesday mm-hmm. because he knows Verlander's going to go seven. And, and just like we have with Ryu, it's like, man, you could put it in the bank. That dude's going six. I mean, he goes six almost like with his in his sleep. So, you know, that's a great asset for the manager, for the pitcher, for the organization to know we can rest the rest of the guys. I don't really know where the pitching staffs are going. I think every team's looking for a Garrett Cole or that the guy in New York, man. Wow, DeGrom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Watching that guy throw a whole people don't even I mean they don't even mention his name. The guys won two side youngs and he beat Scherzer both years. <laughs> yeah. I mean I mean and he beat Kershaw. So this guy DeGrom is something else, man. I watch him throw. I'm like, wow. You know, but anyway, yeah, there's some great elite number one guys out there, like like the names I mentioned. But I think overall it's just hard to find seven starting pitchers for each organization that are going to give you five or six innings. It's and just tough. And this is going to change the record books. This is going to change Cy Young voting. This is going to change salary structures, right? This is going to change everything that we have known. And again, for for an older guy, and I'm 52, so I'm your, around your age, Pat. So I know that you know what I grew up with and what I what I saw. But when it comes now with guys going two, three innings, how do you how do you decide? You know, a Cy Young Award winner. How do you like? Will you will they have to change who gets the win in a game? Will they have to change like all these numbers? And then when it comes time to a new contract, a lot of times you know a starter would get a lot more money than a reliever. But now if you've just got 15 pitchers it's going to definitely change how guys get paid don't you think oh for sure there's no question and not only that you can put the same thing on the offensive side what they're paying for is ops so hitters all they care about is their ops i just gotta i gotta do damage i gotta hit doubles and homers and you're seeing strikeouts at an unbelievable rate i i you know i saw a stat the other day uh bieber got to 100 punches in 60 innings or 62 innings fastest ever and he broke the record from the 2019 season, and I think it was Scherzer or Cole. He did it in like 63 innings. Cole broke the record from Scherzer in 18, and he did it in like 65 innings. Wow. So my point is, is that you're seeing these strikeout records. I mean, the other day Kershaw punched out 13. There's only 27 outs. I mean, <laughs> I mean, striking out half the half your team is. I mean, half your outs are, are punch outs now. So that's changed a lot. I feel like I don't know though. I don't have the numbers in front of me, and I haven't looked at the data. I'm just going on my own instincts, and I could be way off here. Maybe you could check it for me, but I'm pretty sure strikeouts are way up. I think I saw a stat where strikeouts are more than – they had more guys strike out than get hits for the first time in MLB a couple of years ago. So yeah. It doesn't surprise could, me, right, because guys are throwing a lot more heat now. And, again, you know, if you got a guy who can hit 100 miles an hour and you know he's not going to pitch seven innings and he's only going in there for three innings maybe, he can let it out, right? I mean, if you've got the, the heat – you don't have to now, you know, hold it because you know you've got to maintain for 100 pitches, right? Right. The only thing I would say about that is that it's not easy to hold it back. You know what I mean? It's yeah. kind of like if I use it like putting. If you try to decelerate when you putt, it never gets online. you got to stay aggressive. And, it, and another example is the slow roller to the pitcher. Some guys have trouble throwing it to first, just lobbing it. Yeah. But if you ask them to throw it hard, like Juan Guzman was like that. Oh, yeah. You said, Guzzi, throw a bullet over there. He'd throw it right at the chest every time. But if you told him, hey, take something off. So it's not that easy to be a big league pitcher, a starting pitcher, and just take something off. Um, because you're so, you know, the muscle memory and just your release point and just trying to hit your spots and your focus 
practicing and you're throwing hard and your adrenaline and all the other stuff that goes into it. So it's not always that easy to pace yourself like that. I was not one that paced myself. I learned my lesson early in eight ball. When I paced myself, that didn't work. And I was like, okay, that's, I won't be doing that anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I just went at everybody, every hitter from the first inning on. And I think most starting pitchers do do that. I mean, yeah, you're going to have days. Here's the thing. You're going to have days when you just don't have your good fastball. That's the day when you got to go out and pitch and you got to do well and hit your spots. And um, when you have your good stuff, it's about every, I don't know, maybe 10 out of 35 starts, you're going to have your real good stuff. And um, those are easy games, typically. You may not win them all, but they're easy games because your stuff's good. You're getting foul balls. You're getting, you know, miss hit balls. But, um, yeah, I don't know where they're going to go with the pitching. I, I, I actually read an article about Bill James about five years ago, and he talked about how you're going to see a bunch of three-inning pitchers. And I thought to myself, wow, that's really smart. You know, that makes a lot of sense to me because it's so hard to try to acquire these seven-inning pitchers. They don't exist. And, um there you go. I mean, that's what we're looking at. You're looking at, I think one year we used 39 pitchers to get through a season last year. Yeah, I remember that. (laughs) 39 pitchers. I mean, I I, I, I think about, I remember when I made the spring training, I made the team and I remember the whispering in the camp was, we're going to carry six in the pen instead of five. Yeah. Like that was a big deal. We were going to, now teams carry eight, you know, in the pen. So just a different era, right? I mean, the era before me was even, the next level, the Jack Morris's of the world, Dave Steves, those guys, man, they were pitching 12 innings every start. And there is part one with former Toronto Blue Jay, not only former Toronto Blue Jay pitcher, but former Toronto Blue Jay employee, Pat Henkin. If you'd like to hear more from Pat Henkin, and there is a lot more, including some incredible advice that he offers up for Tom's son, who's a 10-year-old pitcher. You're going to want to hear that, as well as some great stories about his time with the Toronto Blue Jays. That will be coming up on our members-only show, which will be on Wednesday. And if you would like to become a member and help support us here at Out of the Park, because we do need the support to keep this show going. And many of you have been members in the past, and when everything happened with COVID and we announced we weren't going to be doing the show anymore, your memberships ended, which was not surprising. But now that we've got the show back again, if you would be up to considering rejoining that would be fantastic if you've never been a member before we have tons and tons of bonus material on our members only page part twos of so many great conversations we've had with current and former toronto blue jays players that you can still listen to you can access all of those we also plan on getting some prizes including something from our brand new sponsor ballistic sports so stay tuned for that as well so we want to thank mr pat hankin for joining us and Wishing you all the best. We wish you stay healthy and safe. And hopefully we can get through COVID and and get back to some kind of normalcy real soon. But until then, you always have us here at Out of the Park. And as we always say, thank you so much for making us a part of your week. You've been listening to Out of the Park with Barry Davis. Thanks for joining us. Get home safely and see you next time.